0: Welcome to the Photo Banter podcast. I'm your host Alex Gagne, and on today's podcast, I speak with photographer Martin De Boer. Martin has worked with clients such as Time Magazine, GQ, Entertainment Weekly, and Samsung, to name a few. In this interview, I speak to Martin about growing up in Scotland and Norway before moving to the United States, where he went on to college to study education before pursuing his passion of photography. I also speak to Martin about his experience assisting in digital teching for legendary photographers such as Peter Lindbergh before breaking off to start shooting his own work for top tier entertainment and editorial clients. Martin has photographed people such as Helen Mirren, Chadwick Bozeman, Tom Hardy, and George Clooney. And in this interview, I speak to Martin about how he approaches portrait shoots, as well as an interesting shoot he did with actress Kristen Bell. I was excited to speak with Martin about his journey with photography. So I hope you enjoy, and thanks so much for listening, Martin De Boer. Welcome to the podcast, man. Excited to have you. Uh, I'm excited to have you on, man. Um, for people listening, uh, I met Martin on Clubhouse of all places, which is this new app. If you haven't tried it, uh, it's a unique place. There's some good stuff, some bad stuff. Um, but was excited to have you on and hear more about your career in photography, man. But uh, I guess to start, one point on Clubhouse because I know we've talked about it a lot. I guess like what's sure. your what's your perspective? Like the last month or so, we we've had a ton of conversations with a bunch of other photographers and stuff. Uh, what what's your perspective on the, the the new Clubhouse app? I guess.
1: I mean, I I really like it. I mean, I think you enjoy it too. The mm-hmm. guys the, the the guys and girls that I've met on the on the app from all over and you know even some people that i've known for years and haven't really had a chance to like connect with it's just an amazing place to just talk and talk photography and then you know it's very exciting at first everyone's talking photography and now we've moved into like what are you making for dinner <laughs> yeah. what are you doing with your time like it's just it's really it's a cool app It, i think everybody has it seems that most people have like sort of the same experience which is like it's exciting. We haven't gotten to talk to anybody for, you know, virtually a year. Yep. And now here we are, like all these like-minded people, people from our community. And it's it's amazing. And then it gets a little repetitive, <laughs> sometimes a little boring. Yeah, but then yeah. someone says something on the app and then that sparks a discussion. It's, yeah. it's kind of great.
0: Um, yeah. I'm enjoying it.
1: I'm enjoying it a lot
0: no it's cool i think for me i just made me realize like over the, obviously the last year has been crazy for everybody but it makes you remember that like human interaction is such like an important aspect of life like when you don't have that like like the fact like last year i haven't been able to interact with like most of my friends like i like i normally would usually do like going to parties or barbecues and stuff like yeah. that so the app is just like it's just been good to stick to shoot the shit with people about whatever you know
1: Oh, I agree. I always make the joke that my wife is super excited that I'm on the app. because <laughs> now, I, now I have other people to talk to. <laughs> yeah,
0: man. But I guess for you, man, like creatively, obviously, like I said, been a crazy year for everybody. Like, how have you been doing? Like, have you still been inspired to make work? Like, I know you, you did a cool personal projects, photographing, like, I think, like frontline workers and yeah. healthcare people. But like overall, like, how's the last year been for you, man?
1: Yeah it was it, i mean i'm sure it's similar to most other people right it was a little confusing At first we didn't know what was going on you 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 know initially go into a mode of acceptance be like okay this is what we have to do you know nobody's working like just everywhere you know i mean I, where you are where i was like the city just emptied out it was like deserted on the streets yeah um and then slowly i started getting the itch of like oh, i gotta do something like i and, I, and I've had, you know, over the years, I've had series that I've committed to where it's just a very clean portrait. I mean, back in 2008, uh, when Obama was running, I did a series called I Am Obama. And I ended mm-hmm. up shooting, I think I intended on shooting like, you know, 20, 25 people who, who were identified as Obama supporters. And that project quickly grew into, I think, over 500 portraits that I would shoot at my little office studio at the time. Um, and it was super fun and rewarding. And so I, I applied that kind of mindset to shooting frontline workers during the pandemic. Um, and it, I started with like restaurants and, and um, like food banks and because getting access to uh, to hospitals is kind of difficult. But then I had some work to show and I, yeah. I got connected through, you know, actually through people I knew on Instagram um, with like doctors who worked at ERs. And yeah, I think, are you looking forward to the first one with the guy with the America hat? this one yeah that's the whole series yeah um, or at least some of the series yep and um yeah and it was it was something to do and it was really rewarding and it was also sort of like a personal challenge of mine to like can i execute a shoot safely and you know not expose myself to unnecessary like you know covid virus and mm-hmm. so i figured out a way to do this basically i would travel around with a four by eight uh flat that i'd painted white and i set up my light and my camera i was about 10 feet away from everybody that i shot and people would come in stand in front of it you know chit chat for a little bit take their picture and then they would go back to work
0: yeah i really like it as one thing i was going to ask you because being that like you shoot entertainment like i would imagine a lot of the work you do like you have such short interactions with these people and a lot of it's, this mm-hmm. kind of like one off little portrait here and there, but like getting to like work on like an extended series, is that like something you like to do? Cause I know you have some other projects on your website that are more series based. Um, do, do you enjoy that kind of work? I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I definitely enjoy this kind of work. Um, and I, I really enjoy working with people who aren't celebrities. Right. I don't want to call them real people because of course, celebrities are also real people, but yeah, you know, uh, like, people who have different types of jobs and different types of challenges. I mean, what I found with this series, what the hardest thing, I think for all of us is, you know, how do you emote through a mask or how do you get to show a person when you can't see half of their face? Right. Like I don't, I hope that most of them are smiling or, you know, they're serious. And I think you, you can you tell know. she's smiling right here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> totally. I mean, and you, and you know, i guess tyra banks was right right like smizing works yeah you know so much of it is communicated through the eyes and like you know a little bit through the eyebrows it's kind of incredible um so it it was really a rewarding thing to do but then you know i just sort of kind of i I felt like things were changing and i i backed away from the series and then Mm -hmm. we kind of you know in california at least you locked down again and you know it, it was uh it was interesting
0: this cool. I really enjoy these ones where it's like you set up right in front of like a location. I love
1: those. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I didn't do it. I I think I my first few I didn't pull out, mm-hmm. and then um, and then I started shooting in these really interesting places like you know the uh, the emergency like uh, what's it the emergency center at the hospital and, like you're in the loading dock mm-hmm. so you want to pull out and show that like the cafe was, was a really cool spot to to pull back and, like, show the restaurant that, that these people were working at. Um, no, that's awesome, man. And, if you, if, and it breaks it up a little bit, you know?
0: And those are pictures, like, you know, in, like, 10, 20 years, man, they're, they're just going to have, they're, they're important to document this time period that, like, when everyone's just wearing masks, hopefully we can get to the point where we're not. But, like, I think go, it's important to document those times in history, you know? Yeah, I agree. And I mean, uh, I,
1: saw, I saw some people do some really incredible work. I, I wish I could remember her name. Um, there's a woman out here in LA that went around and shot like these really iconic buildings and places that were just ghost towns. And I think she turned it into a book. I know, I mean, I'm aware of a lot of photographers who try to turn their experiences into projects. Yeah, And I think we, I mean, I I felt the need to do it because I just wasn't working and I was kind of driving myself crazy.
0: Yeah, I feel you, man. Gotta keep, yeah. fighting, man. It's like it's like momentum. Um, yeah. I guess to go back, man. I was like for people listening, like where do you kind of grow up and like how do you kind of uh, first get into photography?
1: Yeah, so uh, I mean, you want to go in the way way back, man. Yeah, man. Let's like, take it all, all right. the way back, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I was born. Um, I was born in a small town in Scotland called Stonehaven, which is just south of of Aberdeen, and I was born there because my parents, um, who are both Dutch. So I'm a, I'm a Dutch national, but I happen to be born in Scotland. Um, my father was working for an oil company in, in Aberdeen. So I was born in Scotland. Uh, I lived there till I was about uh, 13. Mm-hmm. And then um, that summer we moved to Norway also because of oil, the North sea. Um, and I went to an international school there an American school in Stavanger. Um, and until I graduated at 18 and having been in a, sort of an american school system um it was sort of natural to then decide to go to an american university Mm -hmm. so i applied to a bunch of schools here in the states and um i got to uh i got into uh, webster university in st louis so
0: so so was that going to college was that your first time coming to the states
1: No, i no, my first time coming to the states was um my sister so i have two older sisters and one younger sister my my oldest sister uh, she graduated from from the same school and she went to uh, the community college in Santa Fe and we my father and I took her to uh, to drop her off at school and that was my first time in America and I you know and I had friends all throughout my teenage years who were American and they would come and tell me about like what America was right so my understanding of America was like Tombstone Pizza, and you know, just like these (laughs) random things, (laughs) you know, because this was like early, uh, early nineteen nineties. Yeah. So like ninety one to ninety five, and so I had a very skewed view of what America was. And I I remember landing. We flew from uh, we flew from Europe, and we landed in LAX. And I got out of the plane. I'm like, man, this is America, and And there was like, uh, I think it was like a pizza hut pizza that we're serving at one of the places we were hungry. So we're like, let's grab some food. And it was the first time I'd seen American pizza. And it was like this size, right? It was small, personal size pizza. I was like, man, America's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) uh, And it was just like the little things. And then we flew to New Mexico um, and then we dropped off at school and, and came back through New York. So that was my first experience in America. It was a short trip, but it was impactful. Um yeah, and then when I graduated school, I attended I, I went to St. Louis, uh Webster University in St. Louis. But that same summer when I was going to college, my parents got transferred to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Wow. And um, which is just, you know, or not sorry, not Tulsa, but Bartersville, which is an even smaller town just north of Tulsa. Um, and so I spent my first summer in Bartersville, Oklahoma, which was also very eye-opening. Yeah, Did man. You
0: know? That's <laughs> was, gotta, yeah, that's gotta be interesting, man. Like, I mean, yeah. moving somewhere so different and like, yeah, that's like gotta be. I can't imagine. I mean, I mean, I've lived in the United States my entire life. I bounced around from different states, but like going from a different country to the United States it's gotta be uh, quite a change.
1: Yeah, I got a lot of like, and even so, bartesville which had like a small population of like international people coming in and out because the oil company that was there was Phillips petroleum Mm -hmm. um but i was still met with like do you guys have polar bears i'm like no it's norway we don't have polar (laughs) bears in norway like (laughs) do you guys have ice cream like what about microwaves and you were all all these questions of like it's looking back i'm like oh it's cool that they were curious but the questions were like wait what yeah of course we have microwaves in norway (laughs) it's not a third world country
0: yeah man we got electricity all that (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the whole thing so what were you doing in college like were you already taking pictures at that point or, or were you majoring in photography or like what were you doing at webster
1: no so i always joke that I, i'm a little bit of a slow learner just in life Me and too. um yeah and so i didn't get to the way i usually describe it's like so in norway you, you know you i think you're always whatever you're exposed to as a kid like is going to guide you later in life, right? So my father was a drilling engineer or is a drilling engineer. And, but I knew I, I knew I didn't have an interest in being a drilling engineer, right? Like my dad at the age of 12 could take apart like a lawnmower engine and put it back together. I didn't have that aspect of me. And then, you know, my mother raised us in the home. And so you know, I wasn't going to be a, a mom, mm-hmm. you know, that, and, but I also was exposed to a lot of teachers and I had a hard time in school, um, for a while. And, and so teaching was something I was really sort of drawn to. And so when I went to Webster, I was in their education program. I was initially planning on becoming like a special ed teacher. And I actually have my degree in special ed. It's, uh, like mild and moderate disab- disabilities, K through 12 with an emphasis in, uh, like emotional disorders. Um, but while in school, so, and, 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 and by the way, so because I was in Scotland and Norway, I'm not very exposed to like entertainment or billboards. And my understanding of photography was mostly like, you know, national geographic and photojournalism. And I, I, that I was never really drawn to that. So I think it wasn't until I came to America and it started to sink in where you see advertisements for things, you see billboards for things like I, I started to see that photography meant more than just photojournalism. Yeah. So from my elective courses in school, I started taking black and white classes and like, you know, the basics of, of photography and realized I have a love for, for doing it, but I'm like entrenched in my education program. Mm. So it wasn't until like my fourth year in school that I was like, man, maybe I kind of, Yeah, i kind of shouldn't have been doing education like i kind of want to be doing photography
0: (laughs) (laughs) like when you like when you're looking back now like i'm a little older like the fact that you have to make a choice of like what you're going to do for the rest of your life at like 17 or 18 years old is so fucking because at that age you haven't done shit like you haven't like been anywhere done anything but you have to like decide what you're going to major in what your career is going to be right like what your life
1: trajectory is going to be at that point like i i didn't feel like a fully formed human until i was nearing my 30s right (laughs) like so and someone's asking me at 18 to decide like, well, what do you want to be? And like, I don't know what I want to be. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I, I remember, I remember the phone call I had to make and I was talking to my mom and I'm like, Hey, I know. Cause I did a super senior year in school too. So I was in school for five years and I was like, I know that I've been doing this education thing for, for the past five years, but I was really nervous. And I was like, I, I kind of want to pursue photography when I graduate
2: yep. and
1: I'm expecting that like, wow, well, I mean, you're just going to waste your, you've just wasted your education, you know, that lecture. But I didn't, my mom was like super supportive and she's, you know, she's like, Martin, you know, you know, I believe in you, you're a smart guy, like whatever you apply yourself to, I'm sure, you know, you'll work hard and be successful. Yeah. And it was just a weight was lifted off my shoulders. And I was just, I always, I appreciate that conversation so much. Because who knows, that conversation could have gone differently. I'm like, oh, you know what? She's right. Definitely. I should just go into to teaching and, and commit to, to what I've already spent five years learning how to do. Um, so, yeah, so I graduated school, but I have still had that little bit of me of like, I have to be responsible. And I had been a um, resident assistant. At Webster for four years. And I don't know if you know what an RA is. Oh, yeah, man.
0: God bless those no, RAs, okay. man. You guys, like, <laughs> I'm glad like, my, my RA in college went through hell, man.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a, uh, it, it could be a rewarding job, but it's also, I mean, you know, having kids, having kids like enforce rules of other kids is like a crazy system in colleges, right? Yeah. So, um, but I, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the social aspect of being an RA and like helping out freshmen, getting to college and like making the transition away from home into like, you know, being successful there. And so thinking that I needed a, a responsible job out of college, I went down to Florida and I, I my first job was like at a uh, Lynn university in Boca Raton.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, and I thought like, okay, I'll have this job. I was a resident director for on-campus living there. And I, th- I thought like, I'll go into a, a, a master's program for photography. All right. And I realized I was like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want more school. I just need experience. So I quit that job pretty quickly, right? Like I stuck it out for about a year and then moved to Houston. Now, Houston, why Houston? Because now my parents were living in Houston, but they had to leave the country. So I was staying in their place and I could live there rent free if I looked after their dogs. Smart. And. While I was there, I was like, I'll just find photographers to work for. And in the meantime, I'll, I'll try to get a job at this camera store called the Houston camera exchange. And their tagline was they're the last real camera store. <laughs> and so they sold like new and used equipment and it was awesome. Like it was a great place to learn all these different types of cameras, you know, medium format cameras that I hadn't been exposed to. Like how do you load a Hasselblad, you know, 220 back or, you know, 120 back. And, and so I, I kind of cut my teeth there on learning the equipment, mm-hmm. and then I started working for photographers as an assistant when I could, and that led me to a wonderful photographer named Arthur Myerson. Yeah, and he was looking for a full time assistant, um, and he's an advertising, commercial advertising photographer based in Houston, has had a long standing career. I don't, I think he teaches now more than he shoots. I. I sorry, Arthur, If that's wrong. Uh, yeah. but, <laughs> but he, uh, but I became his full-time first and, you know, one of his clients was Coca-Cola and Coca-Cola would fly him around the world to shoot their annual reports and like their social companion piece that went with it. Yeah. So my first year being an assistant, I mean, we got to go to, let me see. One of the trips was Mexico city, Vietnam, uh, Tokyo, then we flew to uh, Madrid, Damn. London. We went down to South Africa, Zimbabwe. In fact, this was all just one job, one trip. Um, and, and it was a really, really cool experience and with a lot point, of responsibility.
0: What was he still shooting film or was no he... dude? It was
1: all film. Well, all What well, well, like 25 come... Chrome, dude. Oh wow. <laughs> that, yeah. uh,
0: what were like some of your responsibilities like working for him full time? What do you remember about working for him?
1: So, uh, the responsibility, like being his first full-time in studio and then travel assistant was, it was everything. Like mm-hmm. you had to pack the gear, you had to store it, you had to store and catalog the film. I mean, I used to have to make dupes of his, you know, now we just save as, yeah, right? Like, oh, and if this file got to make a duplicate, save as done. <laughs> I used to spend week, a week at a time or days at a time in a lab or in his dark room making dupes. Of his chrome and people listening don't know what that is so the chrome film you're basically taking a picture of that picture on another piece of chrome yep and you know what i learned from him in that process was color balance like it was a masterclass in understanding greens and magentas and because that's how you have to i don't know if you ever had to make dupes yeah but it's you know you have to dial it in just add a little more magenta take a little like add a little green like do the shift. And then you take to the lab, have to do a snip test then you know, then run the film. Um, so that was one aspect of it. And then when we would travel, it was everything. You had to anticipate every potential, uh, you know, bad thing that would happen on a trip, right? Like you lost your film. Where are you going to go buy more film? Uh, where do we process these, which labs do we process these films as we go? Because like, for example, when we are down in South Africa, um, this was just after nine 11. And so now you have all of these scanners everywhere in each airport and we don't want to scan. We're still unsure. Right. At that time, like if you scan the film too many times, then it will fog the film and and this is how we're shooting it. And all the film is on my back in a backpack. So we would process as we would travel. And so we had to find labs in each city. And, and, you know, uh, it was, it was a crazy amount of responsibility for a kid who, basically had like minimal amount of assisting experience. Mm -hmm. Like I remember he would have me take, you know, and again, now, like who uses a light meter anymore? I used to have to stand there with a meter in one hand and a spot meter in the other and give him readings based off of the averages of both the light meter and the spot meter of where he's shooting. And then I have to follow him. Oh, he's going that way. Okay. Now I'm spotting (laughs) metering this way. Um, And uh, one of my funny, I remember this so It's so clear. One of the first times he's having me do it and we're outside in bright, bright sunlight. And he's like, give me a reading of that thing over there. And so I I take a reading and then I ran over to the thing and took a reading. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, you wanted a reading of that thing over there. He's like, how like, what do you think the difference is between open sun where you're standing and open sun 10 feet away? It's like you don't have to run <laughs> over there to, to meter it. And uh, so
0: <laughs> the detailed assistant, man.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, it was great. But but he was right, right? Like, so there is no difference because the sun is so many miles away, it's not going to make a difference if I if I walk 10 feet over there. Yeah. So uh, you know, it was it was a massive learning experience.
0: And, and at that point, were you like still taking photos for yourself on the side and like being that you didn't go to photo school, were you kind of just kind of educating yourself on the history of photography and kind of looking at books or anything? Or how did you kind of yeah. start learning more well, about would, the craft, I guess?
1: So it was that. So when I worked at Chiefs uh, and Camera Exchange, I would pick up those like how to lighting instruction books, right, mm-hmm. where they show you the photo on one page and then they draw the schematic on the other. I, I was reading a lot of that. What was nice about Arthur is you could also experiment with, with, with light stuff in the studio. So if he had a shoot coming up, he would tell you how to light it. And then and there was also a transition period with him where his previous assistant was on for three months before you fully transitioned in. Yeah. So there was a, a transfer of knowledge there. Um, and but yeah, so these lighting, these lighting books, I now know today that I think they were all BS. Mm-hmm. Right. Because now I can look at like somebody's eyeball and you can see the catch light and you know that like, oh, that's an octabox or that's a that's just, you know, uh, <clears throat> that's an umbrella or whatever it is. And I, I know for a fact that like some of those schematics were just drawn because someone's like, oh, you need a schematic with this. Uh, yeah. Let me think. I, this is how I think I lit it.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> it's like it's like some person is shooting the picture and then some other dude is like writing up the book and it's like two different people. Yeah, it's well, imagine,
1: that. right? Like if somebody came to me and I actually I can do it because I have a book of sketches. Yeah. But if somebody came to you and was like, hey, could, we love this photo you took 10 years ago. Can you can you draw out a lighting schematic of how you lit it? Yeah, you get close. Yeah. But unless you have a drawing of that job, mm. there's no way you're drawing it accurately. Yep. So I know I was getting probably a lot of bad information at the same time of getting a lot of good information. But I think I was getting all the fundamentals. And I, I don't really, rem- I had like a K-1000. I then bought into like the Nikon system to shoot film on my own, um, but not really getting a lot of opportunities to shoot. And at this time, too, is like the introduction of digital. What was it? The Fuji F1? I don't even remember. Well, there was like the first kind of pro digital yeah. camera that was probably like four megapixels yeah. and $20,000. So I was still very much in the film world. To be honest, the camera that I would shoot the most with was the little Olympus 35, the yeah. one with like the pull the pull out sort of protective uh, door. Yeah. And it was just a 35 millimeter thing. And because I could process for free at the lab, um, I was just shooting roll after roll, but it was just point and shoot, is nice. what we use our phones for today, um, which was you know was fun.
0: That's awesome, and like I mean, obviously, looking at your work now, it's very much portrait based. Like, how when did you kind of start getting into that type of work, or was kind of portrait photography always kind of your your passion from the get go, pretty much?
1: No, I think I, I was always open to, um, so open to other types of photography. Uh, So from Houston, I I left and I moved to uh, L.A. My sister was living out here at the time. So trying to figure out, like, is it going to be New York? Is it going to be Los Angeles? Um, And I also happened to be dating somebody who I'd met while traveling with Arthur, who lived in L.A. So L.A. seemed to be like the natural place to go to. Yeah. Um, And and my sister being out here and being able to live with her made it all very affordable. And so I moved out here and I started assisting uh, whoever I could. It was fashion or cars or tabletop like whatever it didn't matter. and um, and so there I started getting introduced to all of these different sides of our industry. and along the way, I think I figured out that like okay, I, I like people, I like the interaction between photographer and subject more than photographer and object. yeah, right like it's it was cool to be on car shoots where there's super long days and you're chasing the light and like we're in these really beautiful locations but I'm not a car guy. So I I didn't have the passion behind the object. And I I never responded to like being in studio and shooting, the you know, tabletop that I didn't, I, I I kind of bought, like, I remember one shoot I was on as an assistant. I think there was like a, it was like a 25 minute conversation about whether the spoon next to the yogurt should have a little bit of yogurt on it. A lot of yogurt on it. Should it look like we've just eaten the yogurt and like, there's a smear of the, and I, I was just like, yeah, this isn't for me. Me, me I know, man.
0: <laughs> I I did a year, like a year at Hasbro, the toy company, shooting toys for like e-commerce and stuff, and it was like taking like like spider-man figurines with like tweezers and like, cause they weren't even like the like factory made toys. They're like, um, what do they call it? Like the, the test ones. Oh, okay. And you got to like put like wax on them to put them together. And I'd be like, dude, oh, right. fuck this, dude. Like, I can't do it. I got shaky hands, man. Like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. So like, so I was just like, Oh man, like I realized that's not for me. And then, okay. So where, where are the fields where we have people? and so i work on some fashion shoots and then i'm like i love fashion shoots because the, the you know the talent of the the model the talent of the uh, the stylist is really important in those but i don't understand i'm not the guy that knows designer names and like understands what the trends are yep. so i started to realize like okay well i don't think i would ever be as successful as a fashion photographer. Um, and then living in LA, I'm just like, dude, this entertainment capital of the world. Everywhere you drive, there's billboards, there's, there's advertising, there's actors here. So I started shooting to make a little extra money. I started shooting headshots Mm. of up and coming actors, like people who needed headshots. And so I'd run around LA and we would shoot in just like open light spaces with colorful walls. Is that still like uh, a big
0: business out there? Like the headshot thing? Cause I always heard about it. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, I think it is like. You know, because I mean, it's still necessary. Like people, it, the, where they're presenting their headshot has changed, right? Like, I don't think people print their traditional headshot as much, but, they still but you one. need to put it on like LA casting and you yeah. need to be able to submit those shots. Again, I don't know if like iPhones and everybody having access to cheaper cameras, but good quality has has changed the industry. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that maybe you can't charge as much as you used to, but I think it's like everything else. I'm sure there's still photographers out there that like their, the quality of their product is so high that people are willing to pay not $300, but $3,000 to yep. be shot by this person. Definitely. Um, but I did that for a while and um, to make a little extra money and, and, you know, sort of just practice photography mm-hmm. with, with willing subjects. Right. Cause I also, I think, I also realized along the way that I'm also not a uh, I'm not a photojournalist so much. Like I'm not. I don't know if I have it in me to like photograph people who necessarily may not want to be photographed or to document the scene. Yeah. Um. I and I say that with like a little asterisk, but uh, but yeah. So being in LA and it being so entertainment heavy, I realized that like I love these shoots that I'm on for photographers where it's entertainment based. We're shooting for a billboard or we're shooting for a magazine cover, like you know I, and we're, we're working with people it seemed to marry all the the things i loved about photography into one place um so i started trying to figure out how to gain more of those clients and break into that world um which was you know sort of interesting
0: yeah well, i'll get to that because i had to ask you about man because you you got to work with like as an assistant like you worked you told me a story but we got to talk about it you got got, an opportunity to work with Peter Lindbergh rest in peace legend of the game um how's your kind of experience working with him and like how'd that kind of come about
1: so I'd been an assistant for a long time I then transitioned into digital capture right so because I digital not digital fusion industrial color which was started in New York had started sending their techs out to LA for these shoots And I was very curious about what they were doing and and realized like, oh, they make a little more money than assistants do. And like, this is the future of photography in the sense of like digital, it's moving to digital. So I started educating myself on digital Mm -hmm. and I partnered, I I was teching here and there. Then I partnered with a photo lab in town called, uh, was it LA Photo? Oh my God. I know there's Been A&I, while.
0: A that's the one I used to go to. Yeah,
1: no, it wasn't A&I, it was, uh, I think it was LA Photo. But Oh, no. Sorry. No, 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 no. It was uh, Pro pro One. Pro All One right. photo. It was called Pro One. So they wanted to start their own digital capture company. And I, was, I had some knowledge. And so we partnered up. And, and in that process, I met a guy named Sean Keel. And Sean Keel wanted to learn how to do digital. I think Sean is still out there doing digital today for people like Peggy Sirota. I'm not sure. I haven't talked to Sean in a long time. But so he used to print Peter Lindbergh's work at a different lab. And so when Peter was coming to town and he needed digital tech services, he already had that connection. So Sean was like, Hey, Peter's coming to town. Uh, You know, we need to rent him everything. And so we started working for Peter and we always had two techs on set. Um, and yeah, so that was the first time I met Peter was, it was a shoot in Malibu. I think it was like a, it was an advertising job. And I still, I don't know if I told you this story, right? But like, I still remember to this day. So it's Peter Lindbergh and, and he just walks off with his camera to just shoot. And he wants everything converted to black and white. So he's, yeah. he's shown me how he wants his, like Peter Lindbergh showed me how he wants his black and whites to look, which by itself is a master class, right? Like people would pay big money to learn Peter Lindbergh's like black and white recipe. So I get that for free. And, he starts his assistant brings me cards i'm downloading cards and as i'm clicking through i'm like oh man like these aren't super sharp yeah like everything has a little bit of motion blur and my experience before working for peter was you know and as you know when digital first started coming out every photographer was like is it sharp is it sharp is this sharp is it pin sharp and he was like yeah it's sharp or no it's not and everyone's obsessed with sharpness <clears throat> so he the files start coming in and i'm looking at the screen i'm like oh man I can't be the one to tell Peter Lindbergh like his work's out of focus. (laughs) So he he walks in with the client and he's like, Oh, can I see some of the photos? I was like clicking through. And instead of, he's like, What do you, like, how does it look? And instead of just telling him what I had seen, because again, client is there. So I want to be sensitive. I just zoom in on the photo and I'm like, Oh, it looks like this. Mm. And I make sure, show him a blurry part in the loop. And he looks at it. He goes, Hmm. I like it. Looks more like film, no? And he's just like perfect. Looks more like film. Like I'm, that's going to be my rule from this point on. If a client or someone yeah. says like, "Is it sharp?" Oh, it looks a little blurry. I'm like, yeah, but it looks and feels more like film. Yeah. And I was just, I that was my first like really nervous experience with Peter, but he's such an amazing human being that I'm like, you know, it was great.
0: No, that's amazing like you got to work with all these different types of photographers yeah. and the one question I was going to ask for you like you know obviously like people listening to this who want to pr- pursue photography like what advice would you give to them like was assisting a useful experience for you and like if someone was looking to get into assisting do you think they should just like try to work with one person uh, like uh, exclusively or bounce around and try to work with uh, as many different types of people or like what advice would you kind of give to someone that's trying to get their foot in the door, just kind of early stages is, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's advantages to both. Right. I think if you, if you're working for, if you can be a first and work consistently for like a really big, successful photographer,
3: yep.
1: then I wouldn't advise you to sort of shop around and try to work for other people, like absorb as much of that as you can. And like, cause that puts you in a different position when you want to exit and be a photographer. Yep. If you were like me and you were working for, and I literally, I would work for anybody at least once. Mm-hmm. And I did. There were some people I worked for. I was like, I'm not going to, not going to work for that person again. <laughs> but, it, you know, I, yeah, it was really advantageous to me to, to like learn on every single job. What is it like to shoot cars? And, and something you learn from cars, you take to product or you learn from product, you can take into portraiture. And so I got to learn all these different lighting techniques. It's actually one of the, the sadder things about being a photographer is once you transition out to that world, your exposure to other people and how they light things or run a set yeah. stops immediately. Yeah. And so I'm learning all of these different things and like taking in the good and the bad and like what I like, what I would apply in my own career and what I wouldn't apply. And then once you didn't make the decision to leave into the real world, everything you've learned, just not i mean it just sort of immediately stops and then you apply it you have to really push to learn other techniques or other business practices yeah um but i yeah i i think i think assisting is the best way to to learn the not only the photography portion of the business but the business of the business Mm -hmm. like how do you interact with clients how do you bill how do you how do you deal with client demands and executing them in like high stress situations or low stress situations? Like it, it, to me, it's, you know, I think we've talked about it before and I'm sure it's lots of people understand this. Like photog- what we do as photographers, like pressing the button is like 5% of the overall business of what we have to do, right? So much other time is spent on, 95% of it is spent on file management, client management, Mm -hmm. you know prepping for shoots executing or like finishing shoots delivering shoots um that you know the time on set is like the smallest part it's the part i love the most but it definitely is like the smallest commitment of time for us
0: yeah even like little stuff i learned like when i was assisting like i I was lucky to work with like some great photographers like gary land who we've talked to Mm -hmm. and some other really good guys do Tiber. and he would always like if he could he would cut you a check, all the assistance the day of like, at least like if he could, like at the end of the shoot. Awesome. And he always paid for lunch, like little stuff. Like if you're going to lunch, he always paid. And I was like, man, that's like real. I always respected this, that little stuff, like how he treated his like crew staff or whatever, you know?
1: Yeah. You know, and I've, I've had these conversations with clients before too, where, uh, you know, I, I don't see all the, the hardest photographers that I had to work for you know, sort of the ones that have not the greatest attitudes. I don't see their names much anymore. I think our industry has shifted and there's an understanding just like, just like, I think like the, the world no longer has supermodels. Yep. The world no longer has like superstar photographers. I, at least it's not generating new ones,
3: mm-hmm.
1: right? Like, because I think clients want a more pleasant experience or they're paying attention to how photographers are treating their crew. Yep. And that has become more important. Um, you see, yeah. So th- those sorts of behaviors, right. Like, like stood out for you when you were working, yep. like, oh man, they pay me at the end of the day. I can't, I can maybe count on one hand how many people paid me at the end of the day. And yeah, I man, appreciated it. But do, most people me. were like, you have to chase them 60 days later for but that.
0: And it would be like the jobs you're like, end up chasing for would Be for like, it'd be like a one day editorial shoot for like 300 bucks. And like, come on, oh, man, yeah. you're making me chase you down for four <clears> months, bro. Like it's this, it's, I don't know. Not the,
1: um, I think, I think I still have outstanding, outstanding <laughs> invoices from seven <laughs> years ago.
0: <laughs> man, Anyways, <laughs> if I ever well, come
1: across those photographers, I'm going to be like, dude, you know, you still,
0: owe me this much money (laughs) yeah man um and you know obviously the one thing uh, that big challenge for everybody is kind of when you're assisting or digital teching and you have aspirations to shoot like making that transition to shooting full-time like how did you kind of do it was it kind of balancing a little bit of both for a while or like what was kind of your transition to the point where you started working with clients yourself
1: yeah i so you know i'd heard stories about how other photographers had done it maybe they had assisting and then like just one day they up and quit and like, I'm never doing this again. And now they're, now they're shooting. I, I really planned it. I planned it out. And I, you know, I, I transitioned into being a digital tech from an assistant. Cause I did recognize that there was more money to be made there and, and not out of greed, but out of sort of necessity. Yeah. I wanted to go into that field so that I could save. I was always really kind of good at at saving and not spending my money on like just stupid stuff. And I managed to like save up enough money. And I had a conversation with uh, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife. And I was like, listen, I just can't do it anymore. Like I can't work. You know, because every new client that you picked up as a tech or as an assistant, you have to sort of be pliable and and adjust to their style, right? Like maybe somebody's a yeller or somebody likes to go fast or somebody prefers slow and and everybody has like a, a, a difference in their personality that you have to adjust to, to be good at what you do as an assistant or tech. And I just got to a point where I had a little bit of success shooting. I'd picked up a couple clients, but like, I don't feel like I really did it at a time when I was confident that I'm like, yeah, this is it. Like I can transition and never assist again or never tech again. I, I looked at my bank account and I said, okay, like if I don't work, if I can make zero money for and I think at the time it was like eight months or a year or something. I can meet my my bare minimum monthly expenses. Mm-hmm. And and I had a conversation, you know, with Megan. And I was like, I kind of want to do this. I can't pick up another photographer and like learn their their idiosyncrasies. I was like, I think it's time. I and, and, and every day you're not working towards your own goal. Every so what I used to talk about was. Let's take teching, for example. If you get called for a one-day job, you have the initial phone call, right? You have the prep day. Then you have the shoot day. Then there might be multiple post days or at least one post day. So every one-day commitment is three days. Yep. And, and if you have 10 jobs, that could be 30 days. Your entire month is gone, like working for somebody else. Now you're still making money, but you're not pursuing. You're you know, reaching out to clients, doing test shoots, whatever it is. So every day you work for somebody else is a day you've lost for yourself. Yep. And I, I came to a realization and I had that conversation with Megan and she was super supportive and she was like, okay, like, let's do it. And so I did it. I sort of phased myself out of teching. I had other, you know, uh, freelance techs that I would, I would give the work. So I wasn't just leaving my clients at the mm-hmm. time high and dry. Um, and it just became sort of a natural phasing out and, And I, I did, I found that like, now I had the time to put into test shoots or emailing or reaching out to clients or even picking up like a no paying job for a small publication, which I could then show another photo editor, like, look who I shot. Yeah. And, and, and so like it does, it accumulates all that time put in starts to pay out. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And who are like some of the first clients you were working with? Because obviously entertainment is a really, um, um, competitive industry and, yeah. uh, a lot of people want to be able to, you know, you've gotten to photograph some amazing people, be it like Dave Chappelle or Chadwick Boseman. Hey, or, there he is. Yeah, I know. That's why I saw right there. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. But like, how do you kind of get your foot in the door into that? Obviously super competitive, uh,
1: industry. Yeah. So I've, i found that, um, whether you were chasing, uh, you know, commercial advertising in this field or editorial in this field that you needed to show, um, you really did need to show that you could work with talent, right? Like you can't just show a book of people because clients are a little unsure of like, can you deal with celebrity because celebrity, even though they are also people, there's slight different complications that come with it, right? Like maybe it's ego, maybe it's how you conduct yourself on set, um, you can be a little more sensitive. And so I think at the time, a lot of clients would look at your book and even if they like the work, if you're not showing them faces of celebrities, then they're going to be hesitant to put you on a job. Now, again, it may be different today, but back then that's kind of what I was, the, the vibe I was getting. And so I had been working for a woman, uh, Allison Jackson, who had done uh, made a career of shooting lookalikes. And I thought to myself, like, well, I could apply this to what I do. Like, I'm going to shoot lookalike celebrities (laughs) and present that in a book to clients. And if they bring it up, I'll tell them the truth. But if they don't, I'll just let it slide. Fake it till you make it, baby. Fake it till you make it. Like, you shoot someone who looks like Dave Chappelle, and they're like, "Oh man, you shot Dave Chappelle?" Uh, Yeah, you know, sure. And and I so I started putting out the call. I used uh, what I use, I used LA casting to Mm -hmm. be like. Um, You know, I put breakdowns in LA casting. It's like looking for celebrity lookalikes, and people. I got hundreds of responses. Nobody looked like who they said they did. No, no, right? I mean, I mean, there was one person that said, "Listen, I look like Ben Affleck and Bruce Willis." Yeah,
0: okay. I was like, "Look,
1: you you cannot look like (laughs) both of them. You either look like one or you look like the other."
0: (laughs) Twenty-five years apart.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so, and I was I was getting a little bummed out that that I wasn't really. Gaining traction in there because I thought it, at the time I was like this is such a good idea and nobody's doing it like I can I can you know differentiate myself by doing this mm. and I had a roommate uh, at that same time who worked at a nonprofit and that nonprofit had celebrities that would come in and speak
3: mm.
1: and for for over a year I kept talking to her and she would talk to her boss about um, you know we should document we should have portraits of these people that come in and. You know, finally, I don't know what happened. The stars aligned. Her boss was like, "Sure, have them come in," and I and I started shooting for them. So, they I do credit them as being my first client that gave me access to celebrities to shoot portraiture. Mm. And I've been working with them I, from the beginning. I mean, I think it's been what seven, eight years, or nine years. It's been forever. Wow! But and from that, I then. You know, and then the second client I would I would give credit to giving me opportunities to start shooting jobs was TV Guide. Oh, yeah. You know, um, there was a a photo editor there, Geraldine, who I had worked with on on lots of shoots for other photographers. And um, and, you know, I made her aware that I was shooting some celebrities and I was showing the pictures and she was she was very nice to convince her photo director that like to give me a shot. And they give me a shot. And then I shot more jobs for them. And I shot one of their like uh, TCA style, like portrait studios. And, and I'd worked on years and years of these portrait studios, where, you know, it's, it's a lot of people it's high volume portraiture of celebrities and actors in a single day or over the course of a week. And I loved it. I loved everything about it. And they gave me my first opportunity doing that. And then I sort of from there, I now had a book. I had work to show other clients are like, look, I've worked with these celebrities and now they had confidence to then hire me for their, yeah. Yeah, for
0: their you, job. Yeah, you like momentum. And you made you made a good point there. Like I think we were talking about it a couple of days ago. Is like you have to let people know, editors or producers, like what you want to do because mm-hmm. they don't know what you want to do. Like you have to kind of really you just have to ask, like, hey, if you ever if you ever want something like this. I'm interested in it and it's kind of put the feelers out there and it's like uh yeah it it took me a while to kind of have that confidence just to kind of let people know like hey man I'm interested in shooting this so if you ever need help let me know so I think it's
1: right I mean I I I think I have the same feelings as you right depending on I I know a lot of people talk about it like imposter syndrome I don't Mm -hmm. think I've ever suffered from imposter syndrome but I I do identify with the feeling of like I don't want to be rejected so therefore I'm not going to I'm not going to reach out to this person and then never hear back. But I did real. I have realized over the years that you just have to get over that, mm-hmm. you know, I, now, now having reached out to so many people and never having heard back, <laughs> but then having, but then you do hear back from someone and you're like, Oh, I love your work. Or yeah. later they're like, Oh, I, I, it took me a while to believe people when they're like, Oh no, I love your work. Like I've been looking at it for years. I'm like, well, why is this the first time we're talking? Yeah. You know, but but again, it's I wasn't being proactive about reaching out to them, and I needed to be more proactive. I needed to like just say hi and like introduce my work and like yeah, I think it's a it's always a good idea to be like, I would love to shoot this. I know that this is the kind of content that you shoot. I, I'm really also interested in this thing. Um, yeah, it's it's always it's always a benefit. I think.
0: Yeah, I learned. I, I need.
1: To, yeah. yeah,
0: I learned like real quickly. Even if I like email like a hundred people even just because they don't respond, it doesn't mean they're not looking at my work. Cause I've had that right. before where it's like, they didn't respond to whatever promo I sent them for, but then I ended up getting a call. Cause it was this, like I was still on the radar, but it just kind of pops up, you know,
1: that's interesting. Well, and it's, I, I've heard it again and again, right. That like, it's, it's on the sixth viewing or the eighth viewing, like you have to be persistent without being annoying mm-hmm. in your self promotion, because yeah, you, you may be sending it to them at a time when none of what you're showing them doesn't apply to what they're doing, but now your name sticks out and then your name pops up again a couple months later. And then a couple months later, you're in like, and then one day they're like, oh man, I need somebody for this type of work. And then they remember you or your promo card just happens to come in at the right time when they need somebody. Yeah. I mean, you, I think in this industry, we get jobs a hundred different ways sometimes yep. it's just perfect timing sometimes it's a recommendation sometimes it's your work got you the job like yep. who knows
0: yeah it's crazy and you yeah. know one thing i'm always just curious being you're a portrait person actually, i shoot a lot of portraits myself like what's kind of your process like once you get that assignment to go photograph someone like uh, do you have like a pro- process of kind of um how are going to approach it or like how, how what's it kind of your process with approaching like assignment work i guess uh
1: I mean, I, I guess it's the same. as a good question. Um, you know, I, I'd like to try and get as much information about the assignment as I can. Like, you know, and of course, I think naturally I don't have to ask depending on who the client is, right? Like, if I'm familiar with the client, I kind of understand that if it's this client, they want like a happier, upbeat. If they want this one, they want it to be maybe a little more somber or serious vibe. And if I don't know, I have those conversations with the client. Mm. Um, and then I go to sketching and I, I sketch out my light. I, I figure out, are we shooting in studio? Are we shooting in location? If it's location, can I see those photos? of? Or can I pre-scout the location? And then I can actually show you. Yeah. So this is like, this is my um, sketch book, right? So in here, I don't know if we can see this. Now you can in see In here it. is every single. Yeah.
0: So, so is that like lighting every, sketches?
1: Yeah, these are all my lighting sketches. Every <laughs> single job I, I do, this is my process, and and what it allows me to do is then I can I can sketch out how I'm going to shoot it, and then I can build out my equipment list.
0: Wow, that's and smart. and
1: figure out what to do. And I mean, this is volume two. I have another one Damn. back there that's that's all filled up. And it, it for me it just made sense to sketch it. Then I can break down the gear, and then I can put in that gear order. Um, I don't really rely on my assistants to do that. I like to, to figure all that out ahead of time.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then, and then, yeah, like I, I don't really pull, I know some photographers like pull example shots to like mood boards to show and they like put them up at the studio or to show like posing or or tone. I, I've never really done that. I, I don't know why. Um, I always thought it was a little odd to pull other photographers work
3: Yep.
2: Even
1: though I do believe that all photography at this point is somewhat derivative of past photographers and, and we honor those photographers by appreciating that pose or that look and we want to do something similar. Um, but I never felt comfortable about having someone else's work up on my set. And I feel show like it, with
0: entertainment, it could like backfire because you could be showing yeah. like some other celebrity and that person, they might not like that person. <laughs> so it's like, why are you showing me this person? Like, this, <laughs> shoot, this shoots about me, man. Like, you know?
1: Yeah, I do. I never thought about that. I could totally go sideways. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so, you know, so for, for me, I, I do think about it, right? And and I, I have made, like, sometimes I do create uh, mood boards or, or like creative decks for my um, for my clients, that has photography in it and examples because words aren't always enough to communicate what it is that you're seeing or thinking. So it is good to to pull examples of that work or like color tones or whatever it is so that we can all be on the same page going into the shoot. Um, And, but a lot of times I'm like, Oh, I really want to do this thing and I just can't find the example of it right? Uh, uh, like, for example, the, the Chadwick Boseman shot, the one that's right here that has like the light scratches across mm. it. That was an inspiration from a, a Hugh Jackman shot that um, they did for Wolverine on Entertainment Weekly. Yeah, the Wolverine. And he had the claws, but the claws were casting a shadow on his face. And, and I did the reverse, right? I had it look like somebody scratched light scratches across his face. But it you know, again, it's derivative, but not copy. And it was inspirational to see that shoot. And I was like, oh, I love that. How can I make it different and make it mine? Mm. But I also I can't find an example of that anywhere. So I, I so sometimes I do just have to rely on like either it's a client that trusts me or I have to explain it in words to be like, no, this is what we're doing. Um yeah i mean that's does that kind of answer the question about no definitely process? man that's
0: great yeah the sketchbook thing is great i think that's awesome yeah and, and, i mean then another thing i always ask everybody is like like obviously like finding your voice as a photographer it's a hard thing like your style your aesthetic like like how do, how do you kind of view your work and is it like is it something that's kind of continually evolving um because you know like certain people just have it like you know we were talking about it like like Dan Winters, when you see his photo, you know, it's his or like a oh, Platon yeah. or like an Avedon. And it's, it's hard to find that. Um, but like, what's your perspective? Do you think you need to have like a, a real niche in this business? Or do you feel like you can just kind of have the creative, like approach this kind of try different things? Or what's your kind of thought in on, on terms of your yeah, career? I mean,
1: nat- naturally for me, I, I always want to be evolving and I want to be getting better. But like, I don't think I just jump ship and do something that's completely like out of left field. I think my evolution is like starting from where I'm comfortable and what I know and adding in an element, right? Like playing with projection or playing with the the scratch on the face, but I still, all the, all the traditional elements of like portraiture or how I light and the ratios are there. Um, You know, because I think at its core, I do understand that I'm being hired based off of, my existing body of work. So mm-hmm. if I present something that's 180 degrees different than what I've already been doing, I'm afraid that the client would be like, Yeah, this is cool, but what? Like, mm-hmm. we hired you to do this thing. And some jobs have that flexibility, right? There's more flexibility in editorial than there is commercial advertising. Um, but I, I, you know, I was actually on Clubhouse a couple of weeks ago and I jumped into a room where they were like, Oh, let's review each other's Instagram account. Yeah. And I was, I'm game, like random person, like review my account and this, and somebody pointed out on my Instagram account, it's like, Hey man, so what happened in like 2018? Like, it looks like your feed went from this like beautiful sort of simple lighting portraiture to something that's like, it starts to be all a little more complex or like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I, I actually had to go to my own account, scroll down and look. I was like, oh man, this guy's kind of right. <laughs> like I don't, and I don't have an answer for him. Like I have no idea why my yeah. work changed. Like I had the daughter around that time. Like maybe it's sleep deprivation that allowed me to see it differently. Who knows? Yeah. Or like just my life is now different. So therefore my work is different. But I, I do look at old, old work and I, I, I always want to see growth. I always want to see it, even if it's subjective at least my subjective view of my work is that it is getting better. And I don't know if I have, like, I don't have a Patrick Holick. Like this is my signature. I don't have a Martin Mm Scholler, Like this is the one look or like Dan Winters, right? Like what you mentioned, you can look at a Dan Winters shot and be like, Oh damn, that's a Dan Winters. But I have gotten feedback from people over the years, which they do look at a picture and they're like, I knew it was yours. Mm -hmm. Or like, I thought that it was yours because of the way that it felt and for people, when they look at my work, it has more to do with uh, like how the talent looks, not necessarily in their lighting, but in their comfort level or how they, they look in front of the camera. Um, and it, it's, it's feedback that always made me really uncomfortable um, for a long time because I didn't know, like I could show you my book, I could show you how I lit it. I yep. can tell you the equipment that I use, I can tell you the lens that I shot it on, but how did I get this one person to look that comfortable? I don't know. So just over time with repetition and like I, I mean I, I, I constantly joke around like I think I've literally shot almost everybody in that's a working actor. Yeah, do you have man? Like, I was looking at you you have shot yeah. so many damn people, man. <laughs> hey it's one- a lot of <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: it's a lot of people. But over time, like I got more and more comfortable with that feedback because even though I didn't quite understand what it is that I was doing, mm-hmm. I, I was I was getting that result consistently and I had to boil it down to like, it must be the way that I interact with talent Definitely. that allows me to like get most of the people feeling comfortable. It doesn't always work, but you know, it, for the most part it, it works most of the time.
0: Yeah. You got any tricks? Like when you got someone who's coming in, like it's it might be an early morning mm-hmm. shoot. They're still tired from the night before. Or like, or they're just not like, in the mood to be photographed. Like, what are there like anything you kind of do to kind of ease the mood or like. Wh-
1: yeah. I think overall, generally overall, my approach is like, I, I know, cause I've worked again, we talked about assisting. I worked for a lot of different personalities mm-hmm. is I, I'm not the type of photographer, I do, not, I, I do not have a bigger ego than the talent in front of me, right? Like I will always default to their mood yep. and I will, I will be pliable enough to work around how they are because in a lot of what I've done so far in my career have been these like, you know, someone comes in, we have five minutes. Yep. Well, I, I'm not interested in like exerting dominance over them and like making them do what I want. I want to explore, like, I'll let them be there. If they want to smile, I'll, they'll smile. If I need to get a smile out of them, I'll let them be themselves for a little while. And then I'll crack a dad joke. And sometimes the dad joke fit, like I shot Spike Lee and I think Spike Lee is sort of known for not wanting to smile in front of the camera. And I gave him the direction of like, Hey, how about a smile? And he's like, no. And, and then I was like, well, how about if I tell you a joke? He was like, don't do it. And, and he was and like then dead he serious laughed. and he was like dead yeah serious. he's dead serious I was like well how about if I tell you a joke he goes please don't and and he knew in that moment because it's, it's you know it's kind of a rude response or whatever but he laughed at himself telling me not to tell him a joke yeah and then so he smiles and I took that photo and so I have a picture of him smiling
0: but then did he get like, pissed that you took the picture of himself no, no him? not <laughs> not
1: at all because I think he knew like it was just a fun interaction yeah. where you, you know so <laughs> So it doesn't really. I don't really care how I get to the point. Yeah. Like I, I'll, but I'll bend myself, and and my personality doesn't matter. I, I've never thought that my personality and the core of who I am matters in, in getting to the final result. Yeah. Right. So, uh, like, I don't mind. I don't mind. If, I'll make fun of myself. I'll tell a bad joke and have them laugh at how terrible the joke is. Yeah. You know, or I'll just give them the direction. Sometimes and be like, hey, uh, you know. Let's pretend I said something funny and most people will be like, ah.
2: yeah, 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 they
1: will smile and laugh. So I try to make I try to make the exchange as easy as possible because you know I, I struggled with this for a long time. I was like, well, I don't understand. like actors are in front of the camera. This is their job like this is what they do. Why are so many actors uncomfortable? And it dawned on me that well, because actors are rarely ever asked to look into the lens. They're and usually when they're acting and they're doing their job, they're pretending to be somebody else
0: and they're playing off someone else, like in a scene. right. And they
1: have other people in the room, right? Like yeah. they, they and they know what their motivation is, and they know like the lines they think about their lines and they're cooperating in it naturally. But, but photography is a completely different animal. I'm mm-hmm. asking them to look directly into me, like, I'm going to take your picture, smile for me, don't smile <laughs> for me, scowl, like, whatever it is. And I don't like it. I hate my photo being taken. So, uh, you know, the fact that we're even recording this interview makes me uncomfortable. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But (laughs) so maybe I come from just a a more of a sympathetic place. Yeah. Where I also understand that that this is not the most natural thing to do. So let's just sort of explore how uncomfortable this is together.
0: No, right. That's good advice, yeah. man. Well, one shoot I had to ask you about, uh, I, thought, uh, I was looking on your website, I thought it was awesome. You did this shoot with Kristen Bell. and I, thought oh, it, I it love like, this shoot. Yeah, it seemed like a little different than what you normally do. I was just yeah. kind of curious, like the backstory, what it was for and like your overall approach because it, it came out really cool.
1: So I worked for, this was for American Way Magazine, mm-hmm. um, which is the magazine that you see in the pocket of your of your airline, yeah. right? Yeah. When, when everyone gets back to flying again. Um, and American Way for for a period of time was putting celebrities on their cover. I don't think they do it right now. But um, I worked with a wonderful uh, photo director there. And she she calls, and we'd done a couple of shoots already. And, and, and I knew for them, they always wanted uh, whatever project that the talent we were shooting, they wanted a nod to the project, but not uh, hit you over the head. This is their character, right? Mm -hmm. so kristen was being interviewed about her role in the good place and the good place is about like does this person goes to to hell or heaven and it's but it's very very surreal right so the photo director calls me and she's like hey martin i have this crazy idea but um but like hear me out and i was like sure i'm into it and she describes to me that she wants to do uh, because of the surrealness of the show, she wants to do a shoot that has, um, Oh my God, why am I blanking on his name? All right. This, this, no, no. Who's this artist? Uh, 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 oh my God. It'll come to me. Yeah, no worries. So, so this is all derivative of his art, right? The the falling man, the apple, It, it his art, art is very sure. I'm, I'm, yeah, I forget it's I'll gonna it's playing. gonna yeah, yeah it's gonna come up it's gonna it's gonna pop into my head after where we sign off.
0: don't worry about so it so
1: she pitches this idea and i'm like oh my god i love it i see it i see exactly what she wants to do and i was i was game like as soon as she described it to me mm-hmm. and then the complication is like oh but we have to shoot this at a hotel in in hollywood yeah like this wasn't shot in the studio i had to figure out like how do i make like, how do I put a massive apple in a room? You know, how do I how do I do all these things? And and like, it was a cool challenge to figure out how we executed this, which of course needed a lot of post work, right? Mm-hmm. But how do we shoot it in a way that it at least makes it feel a little more real? And um, and yeah, dude, like this this is the result. And I, this first photo is one of my favorites. I think I have it as my like background when I send people. Yeah, uh, man, it really stuck out. For transfers. Me yeah
0: yeah because we were talking about like a lot of times like with portraiture especially the entertainment stuff it's like yeah you're stuck in like some conference room and you can get um you just set up the seamless and it can get super monotonous and like talking to you i know over time you you kind of started building your own sets and doing whatever you could to try something different because yeah the the seamless can get pretty boring pretty quick
1: yeah no exactly and like and so I, I was always into so the the shot before where she's standing holding the apple, like I think that's a that's a Schmidley background that we shot that we hung in the room. Wow. Um the the shot of her falling, we just shot on like a little, you know, four foot wide seamless that was cropped out. I just had her turn in position. Hmm. And then the the background there was just uh, you know, the the outside courtyard of the hotel we were shooting at, Magree. Yep. Magritte is the artist uh, that, that this was all driven from. And
0: for a shoot like this, like how much time do you get with her? Because you, you got a lot, like a lot of different takes on this.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think total shooting time with her, we probably had not, not including like hair and makeup. Right. Yeah. I think we probably had an hour. Wow, man. You guys got a lot done in an hour. Yeah, dude. We, we're down to business, but she is also fantastic. Like, So there's all of this pre-planning, right? Like we we pitched the idea, like she's pitched it to the the publicist, like everyone's game for for how this is going to be shot. And she shows up that morning and I was like, and I've shot Kristen a few times before. And I was like, hey, Kristen, how's it going? Like she's sitting down for, you know, for Glam. And I was like, so do you you know what we're shooting today? And she's like, no, I have no idea. (laughs) And so I had to run her through the creative of the shoot, like on the spot. And she just looks at it, she goes, yeah that's great great i love it it's great and yeah. like just nails it all the way through is that like um, something you so-
0: typically do with like talent like when they come in you kind of you might have an idea or mood or a look you're trying to get like you do kind of walk them through the process usually
1: yeah it depends it depends on the shoot some jobs don't have the time for it right um, other jobs they do or if, if there's like for example if you're shooting like a gallery shoot where we have to execute like seven different ideas Mm -hmm. in a very so i've done these jobs where you know like the creative for it they don't know where they're going to land so they have like seven different basic sketches of like what the final art is going to look like yeah but they may call for seven different lighting setups so i've done it before where we've set up you know like a a nine-foot seamless in a warehouse, and I've built a lighting setup around that. My assistants know, you know, when we call out like uh, scenario A or scenario B, you're turning off and on packs, and we have to transition through. And in those situations, even if the timing is tight, I still have to I have to walk the talent through a basic visual so they understand, like this one feels happy and this one feels moody, and this one is you're sitting and this one you're standing. Um, because that direction is different than sort of an editorial shoot where we're, we can dance a little more and move around a little more. Yeah. Um, so every job is is different. You know, it's always better. Um, and, and I mean, to be honest, going back to like a Peter story, I noticed early on that Peter tended to do this with everybody he shot. Before the shooting started for any of his jobs, he would go on a walk with the talent. Wow. I don't know what he said. I don't know what was discussed. I don't know if he just like, who knows? But he, it would always be like 10, 15 minutes. And I don't even think they talked about the shoot. I, I would imagine that, that Peter was just talking to them about life, right? Just to make them more comfortable. Um, and so, yeah, I always recommend if you can like have those conversations, walk someone through what you're going to be doing that day.
0: That's some like real Zen stuff, man. Yeah, I
1: like like it, dude. I always wanted to be a fly on the wall, right? I want to land on his shoulder and just listen into what that conversation is before the shoot.
0: Yeah. And obviously like the longer you've been doing this, the projects get bigger and bigger. Like has, yeah. has this like the, like the leadership role? Cause obviously on these shoots, you're the photographer and everyone's looking to you for what you want and like how your stuff wants to have executed. Has, is that something you've always just been kind of natural at being a leader or is there like anything you've kind of learned and like approaching these bigger productions to make sure they kind of go smoothly, I guess.
1: No, I think it's definitely, it's definitely a skill that I've had to develop and, and learn more because like, you know, even in the beginning, when you're younger, and then you're also relying on like your friends to be your assistants and help you out. It, you know, if you if I walked onto the set one day and I started puffing my chest out or acting like a leader, like I, I don't know if that would have gone really well. So it's a different interaction in the beginning. Yeah. As you work with you know uh, newer people or just like people you haven't worked with before, then the then those relationships change as well. And I and I have settled into again. I have my like sketchbook and I do like to at the beginning of the day if it's a big complicated shoot if we have multiple setups just we break out the sketchbook we talk over all the sets and like you know my assistants are fantastic people who are really good at what they do and so they can look at the lighting setup and approximate where everything goes and then we can dial it in mm. so uh, yeah I I have I've done more and more of that over the past few years of like you know a little team huddle and you just walk through the, the 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 equipment or how you want it set up, and then everyone does their job. Yeah, you know, it, it's more natural. Like, I, it's not really. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't really go into it. Be like, okay, I'm the leader. Listen to me. No, it's I did. just sort of. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, people. I think naturally. Oh, sorry. No, I, say, I think people naturally sort of look to the photographer for the direction anyway. At least I did when I was an assistant. Mm. So, uh, you know, knowing that, yeah, I think it's an easy conversation.
0: Yeah, I think this goes back to like you were saying before, like when you're photographing people and trying to like, you know, whatever it is, put them at ease. It's like it, it's kind of your presence, like the job stuff might be like going crazy. You could be shooting outdoors and rain's coming and shit blowing around. But like you still got to maintain that calm of like, <laughs> hey, we got this, man. We're going to figure it out, you know? <laughs>
1: Yeah, hey, uh, actually, one of my favorite stories about that, like trying to maintain composure, yeah, when when everything just went wrong. Actually, I, luckily, knock on wood, hasn't really happened on a photo <laughs> shoot for me as a photographer. But back in the day, I also texted for Peggy Sirota for a little while, and there was one job where I don't know why we only had one back. We didn't have a backup phase one back, and those little like uh, those air blowers, those little red rockets. Yep what you would use to like blow the dust off the the sensor, you know, they were, I was seeing a dust spot. So they had to stop shooting. They handed the back to me and I grabbed the rocket and I'm holding it up and I'm like, all right, I'm going to get this dust spot and I like squeeze the thing and the the plastic tip of the rocket shoots off and bounces off the back of the sensor and leaves a very visible white scuff mark. (laughs) And I think all the blood like rushed out of my face. My, my tech that I use all the time now, she was actually there on that shoot and she loves telling the story because she was like, aha, all the blood just rushed out of your face. And, (laughs) and the the first assistant is looking at me and like Peggy's wondering where her back is. And I just had to be like, uh, I'll be right back. And I rushed over to the corner of the studio and I found my like cleaning kit. And I, I pressed on that sensor as hard as I could. And I wiped it off with the like isopropanol, whatever it was, the cleaning Holy solution. Shit. And, and I was, luckily it just wiped right off. <laughs> yes. And I came back. I, I, put, <laughs> I, I, I don't think I've ever been more nervous on a set. Yeah. And I put it back. We put it back on the camera, reconnected and we kept shooting. But those like what probably felt like an hour of me just sweating bullets was maybe like five minutes and yeah. you know when we got it done hey, so man. you always try to keep composure that shit, right? that's
0: a shit that's the shit that keeps you humble right <laughs>
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh another yeah. shoot man i had to ask you about uh you you got to shoot david lee roth man like how, how what was this all about because like this guy's such a character
1: i've listened to a bunch of interviews with them he just seems yeah. like such a quirky diamond dude. dave yep um so I was doing where was I? I was in Vegas. I did a shoot at the Billboard Music Awards. Mm. And he and he came back into the studio. I was shooting people sort of like one at a time. There was a lot of studios back there. Um and he came in and it, to me at the time it felt like just a very sort of natural you know small interaction. We shot some pictures. He did the high kick right for me. Like it was kind of amazing. Um and then his his manager took my card. And then months later, I get a call from her and she's like, you know, David wants to do a shoot. And I was like, cool, well, you know, what's the shoot? She's like, well, it, sh- he just wants to hire you to come to his house and shoot him at his at his place in South Pasadena. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, and that first shot is, is one of the shots from that shoot. And so I, we went to his house, like we had a meeting ahead of time, then went to his house, we set up this like really classic sort of gray background, black and white. That's what he wanted. Yeah. And, um, and we did a, a variety of these shoots and he has, he has some amazing hand poked tattoo art that he got in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wanted, he wanted to document some of that. So we did all of that. That was my first job with, with him. And this was like, he,
0: fr- he, he was this wanted to do it, this, to do it. Like they weren't. Just like, for him.
1: Wow. No, I I mean, there's I think he I think he also had like a podcast or he was, you know, Diamond Dave. He's also like a DJ's and something like that. he probably wanted images just for, yeah. you know, for promotion down the road or just Got for it. him now. And then so that one went well. And then he asked me to 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 join him on the road. At a, at, uh this was down in San Diego. And I also covered him here uh, in L.A. when him and Van Halen were, were touring again. Yeah. And so I got to shoot him. He wanted me to shoot him like pre-show, during show, and then after show. And, you know, he's an, like his brain is like no other brain I've ever come across, right? Like the way he thinks and communicates what he's thinking is, is genius, but also at the same time hard to track. And so you also, you almost just have to like listen, absorb, and then, and then apply, right? Like, what like type of, my of pic- dude
0: was he like the type of dude? It's like, all oh, right, let me look at the camera. Let me look at that picture. Is it, was he? No, yeah.
1: no, not at all, dude. Like, he, he's the kind of person like we would have a meeting ahead of time. He then like allows you to do the thing and then reviews everything after, like, and like, well, I'm talking like a week later, right? Yeah, like, he yeah. just wants to see the contact sheets later. Um, and, you know, and at first it was actually kind of amazing. He's so, like, it was so kind of traditional in the way that he edited this first shoot that we did at his house. I mean, I can't remember how many thousands of shots that I, I took of him. Hmm. And they were like, uh, you know, he wants to see a contact sheet. I'm like, well, what do you want? You want four four up on a contact sheet, eight up? And they're like, no, 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 print everything, one image per sheet. You know, got a loop. And ship it to him while he's on the road. <laughs> and I was like, uh, that's 2,500 contact sheets like that's gonna be an insane amount of money and eventually what we did is i ended up going to kinko's and just printing everything out on paper and ship i shipped him like three boxes of contact sheets holy shit and just for him to edit through and it's just an amazing process but one of my favorite directions he gave me when shooting him like pre-show after show was he's like martin you know look at shoot everything shoot everything like you know, shoot the the land yacht, which is what he calls his RV, like shoot the TV, shoot the bowling ball, like shoot the, shoot the beer can, shoot this, shoot that. Like think about if in a hundred years from now, somebody is going to look at this photo and think, oh my God, they used to do things that way. Like we used to watch TV on a flat screen that would yeah, come yeah. on a wall. <laughs> He's like, and, and that was, a and I, I like, I took that in dude and it's in my brain forever because there's so many things in our lives that we just take for commonplace yeah but you know when we look at photographs from 80 years ago we're blown away that like oh that's how people used to do that thing or like, even like crazy. even just
0: think back to like like remember when, like iPods came out iPod was like yeah. shit but now you like look at that old like white is like basically like a hard drive <laughs> shape and now you look at him like yeah. we used to use that and it's not even that long ago
1: <laughs> yeah no exactly and and so I love that perspective and that's what it was like working with him yeah. he's just like this wealth of like rapid like crazy knowledge and he's just throwing it at you and and, and luckily like some of it just made sense to me and you know we went for it because like his direction for shooting him inside the the rv was like you know I, i've been watching this movie are you familiar with the you the movie you uh, was it uh u-571 yeah. the submarine movie yep right so like that was part of his direction on like how do we (laughs) shoot in this tight space i loved it i love i loved working for him
0: He's a real real artist you you enjoy that do you enjoy that when people are like collaborative in the process like some people probably just show up and just kind of stand there but like other people have like an opinion do you kind of enjoy that back and forth
1: yeah yeah a hundred percent i think you know just just as much as like you know, a a talented makeup artist adds to the set, like, you know, a a great stylist who brings great clothing and has good opinions. like, can, can add to the set, of course, like the talent having, being open to creativity. Like, I don't know if we've talked about this before one of my favorite shoots. And I think it's on my site is uh, with Helen Mirren. Okay. And Helen Mirren from the get-go was like, she turned, after being introduced to her, and we started going through clothing. Like she turned around to me and was like, "Martin, what do you think? Wow. Like, what? Is, what is you? What are your opinions on like, like, what's your vision for this shoot?" So I love it. I love. Were
0: that, you almost that, like that. taken aback? Like, wait for real?
1: I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was. I was a li- honestly, dude, I was a little speechless because that's it's rare, <laughs> right, for someone to have that sort of like presence as we're going through it and sort of and respect for the photographer yep. and she's just an amazing human being and and like and i loved everything i think this stylist that was on the shoot is one of the best out there and you know and so for for all to kind of come together and she's just an amazing person to work with yeah it's in, uh, it's,
0: it's interesting to hear because that basically the, it, it tells you the reason why she is who she is and what she's accomplished is because she, she takes every opportunity she has. She's professional. Like a lot of people yep. could show up in kind of this brush that, Oh, here's another photo shoot. But like here in your experience, she showed up and she was, she was professional. She was
1: ready to create, right? Yeah. Like yeah. she wasn't, I, cause I think in some, some aspects, some people must show up and they're like, okay, well, they want me to wear this. So this is what I'm going to wear mm-hmm. where she was approaching it like, oh you want me to wear this like do you want me to wear this like do i want to wear this like it was collaborative and it was it was it was a special shoot and i'll always hold this one like dear in my heart yeah and one of the things i wish i knew going into this but i didn't learn till months later is that the surname mirin yep is on the like endangered surname list oh really like so so like last names do disappear from the planet right Mm -hmm. and like i think if you're under 500 surnames on the planet that you know you're on the endangered last name list wow and apparently mirin is one of them
0: damn that's wild man i I gotta check out my last name see if we're doing all right
1: (laughs) (laughs) i think mine's fine i think there's so many divorce out there in the world yeah man yeah well, uh, Martin, man,
0: I, I could talk to you forever. We'll have to do another one. Yeah, but dude, this has I been get, fun. I guess to wrap up, man, like, what's next for you? What's got you inspired? Like, what's next for Martin?
1: Uh, You know, Clubhouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. No, I'm just <laughs> 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 no, I mean, you know, the pandemic has been, it's been hard. Like, things are slowly starting to open up. Um, I have a, you know, I do have a job that's, that's potentially coming up beginning of next month, which, you know, knock on wood nice. happens um you know other than that dude it's just it, it's the same of what i've been doing just living life you know spending time with my family and, and more recently being on clubhouse and making <laughs> miniatures anybody I'll link, your photo miniature. website.
0: I'll link your photo website and your photo instagram but go follow martin's underscore miniatures if you want to see Martin's oh, yeah. miniature hobby uh his side hustle uh it's it's cool That's stuff true. but uh yeah martin I, thank you so much for taking the time dude
1: Yeah, thank you for asking me to do this. It's been real fun.
0: So there you have it. That was the Martin DeBoer interview. Just want to thank Martin so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. It was a real pleasure speaking with him. Um, Definitely go check out Martin's website at martindeboerphotography.com, as well as his Instagram, iHeartMartin. Lots of cool work up there, and he's always updating it with different projects and his assignment work and whatnot. So definitely go give him a follow. And, yeah, as always, I'll be having weekly podcasts every week on apple Podcasts, spotify as well as the photo banter youtube page um, so definitely go check us out on youtube hit the subscribe button as be much appreciated and as always thanks so much for listening and take care